And Lord, it's because you stand that we are able to stand. It's because you are that solid rock, that sure foundation, Lord, and you have placed us on the foundation of your truth. I pray, God, that we would stand and we would stand in boldness. And so, Father, today, once again, we just ask as we open your word that you would minister to our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, Jim. Thank you, Marie. Same to you. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 2. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. There should be one in front of you underneath the seat. But if there isn't, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. <laughs> I've said that a couple times before, I think. As you're turning there, first of all, I'd like to thank everybody that was involved in the teacher training yesterday. I was just here for a small portion of it, but it was a huge blessing just to see so many people like-minded to come into the same place for the very purpose of teaching the gospel to your children. And when I say your children, whether they're your kids, they're all our kids. And so just, uh, it was just a great time yesterday, and I just want to say thankful for, or be thankful to the ones who put it together. Um, I don't remember if I mentioned it on Sunday morning, but we have a, a lady who attended our church, Ann Lett, and she's attended it for many years, very faithful servant, and served here in children's ministry and hospitality. She would come in during the week and clean, and she did that for I don't know how many years, probably close to 14, 15 years at least, and went to be with the Lord a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, she, with her daughter, Anne had um, uh, Alzheimer's, and it just ravaged her. And uh, because of finances and whatnot, her daughter <clears throat> moved to uh, Arizona with her in the last couple of weeks of her life. And uh, as I said, she's gone. Um, her daughter wants to have the service here, which I look forward to doing. April 27th is the Saturday after Easter at 10 o'clock. But as right now, they're struggling. They're struggling with um, uh, Anne's remains. They want to cremate her, and they can't afford it. And so I said I would put it to the body. And so if that's something that you feel led to give towards, more than welcome to, uh, whatever shortcoming, the church is just going to pick up, and we'll see that that gets done. She's just been such a faithful servant. And just such, you know what, it's, she's an inspiration to me just to see this woman who is a single uh, mother, uh, this woman who um, she worked as a waitress and uh, would come in even after her shift and do the things that she had committed to, just, just a servant of the Lord. And so here's an opportunity just to minister to her family once again. Let's, pr let's just lift the family up. Father, I, I lift up Shannon and I pray for Amber and the rest of the family and just pray that you would bless them during this difficult time. I pray, Father, for the difference that we're able to make in the ministry for this church and just pray that you would bless it. But right now, we just thank you, Lord, for just the memory of Anne and, and God, just her faithful service. It was so behind the scenes so many times, but it was so effective for the work of ministry. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for the goodness of your people, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word. 
The Apostle Peter had just spoken of prophets, but he now gives us a warning. In chapter 2, I'll start from verse 1. I realize that we did verses 1 through 3 last week, but we're going to revisit some things there. It says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Obviously, Peter is writing that to those of his day, but it's pertinent to our day also. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be delivered for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example of those who afterwards would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthful conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling amongst them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to deserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Father, just essential instruction from your word today. Because again, the word of God is based upon the preaching of the word of God. But what happens when the enemy, when the flesh infiltrates into that? We must be aware. And so, Father, I pray for today's teaching that, God, it would be that which would prepare us, Father, when confronted against those who would pervert your word. So again, Lord, lift up this morning, asking that you would simply bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. As we saw last week, well, we were told in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, where Peter said, No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And if that is true, which it is, the antithesis of it would be true as well. Paraphrasing that Scripture from the opposite point of view, False teaching is of private interpretation, for false teachers never came by holy men of God, but false teachers spoke as they were moved by their own desires. And that which was prevalent back in the day of the Apostle Peter, it was prevalent in the day of the Apostle Paul, just as surely as the word of God was going out, false teaching was going out as well. We must be well aware of it in our day also. So where do false teachers come from? Well, verse 1 tells us something that should be very startling. It says there were also false prophets amongst the people. That means amongst the body of Christ, there are false teachers that are there. Now, don't only think about the person behind the pulpit. A lot of times, it's the person out in the hallway or the person who sends you the text message, or the email, or whoever it might be, it's that who spreads, the, spreads that which is contrary to the Word of God. And so these false prophets will come amongst your church. If this is your church, we've had false teachers here. We have had people that have come in amongst the brethren for the purpose of leading them away according to their own will and according to their own desires. And it will be the person behind the pulpit from time to time, perfectly not at this church, but nonetheless, you need to be aware so that when it does come about, 
out, you're able to recognize it. And so these people who will rise up amongst even ourselves, they will exhibit good leadership qualities. Wow, that person, that person male or female, that person is impressive. That, that, that person is, is able to leave and lead and inspire people. They will possess great biblical understanding. Man, they know the Bible frontward and backwards. And it would be impressive just the knowledge that they have. They will groom a polished personality. Wow, they're just, I wish I was like that guy or that woman. And, and they use these things for the purpose of their message. See, our message is not centered upon any one person other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're thinking, wow, what a great, what, what, what a great leader, what, what a great biblical understanding, what a polished personality, then there's something wrong. There's something wrong with that mindset because what you should be leaving the church thinking is what an awesome God that we serve. And those who have a message that is contrary to the word of God, it will not bring people to the throne of God. It will bring them to the grave of mankind. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, speaking of false teachers, that they come in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. If it's Christ who has set us free and we have found freedom indeed, then anything else is going to bring us back into bondage. What did Paul mean by bondage? Well, Paul went and he spread the gospel throughout the area of southern Turkey today, Asia Minor. And as he did, people were getting saved, and they were coming to the awareness of the grace of God. And it was just an amazing work. Well, these men who are called Judaizers, they were those who were preaching a hybrid religion of the gospel of grace, but also the work of Judaism. And they would come back behind them and tell them of the things that they need to do to be really right in the sight of God. Their main thing was circumcision, but there's so many different things throughout the course of history, church history, that these types of people, well, it's whatever their pet project is, and it's usually whatever it is that they do well. And so they were telling him, yeah, yeah, salvation by grace, all that's good. But if you really want to be right in the sight of God, if you want to be ultra spiritual, you have to be circumcised. You have to do something our way. You have to have church on Saturday and, and not on Sunday. And again, th there's just simply a, a whole list. What is the method of operation of these false teachers, false brethren, false prophets, these as described here, these heretics? Well, they will act in stealth. Like I said, in the hallway, hey, you know what Pastor Mike just said? Well, you know what? Let me tell you what I believe. Or, or, or the text messages, and we had somebody that sent somebody in our church text message, but don't tell the leadership at the church. And again, when there's something that needs to be done in secret, something is wrong. If somebody tells you, this is what the leadership at Calvary Chapel, Ontario says, but this is what I say, but don't tell anybody something's wrong. That's an alarm. And let us know because it's so, they may look impressive just as the list that I just read, but really they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And the bottom line is they're going to leave the sheep to destruction. They're going to leave the sheep outside of a place of protection and bring them into a place of harm. 
instead of bodily entering in, I'm sorry, boldly entering in or bodily entering in with the truth, they infiltrate under the radar. If you have truth, you're bold with the truth because truth is going to withstand any kind of attack. We boldly preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray we boldly live the gospel of Jesus Christ because we understand the truth that it is. And if somebody is coming in and they're not, well, they've got the secret things or the hidden things, something is wrong. And so many of what we consider to be cults today, they've got their secret things, the things that are only known to them or whatever. When anything like that happens, again, that's a red flag. Everything that Jesus did, he either said or did openly for all to see, all to hear, and for all to partake of. These are cowards who feed on the feeble. They are destructive. Instead of bringing unity to the body of Christ, they divide the body of Christ, leading people away. And I've seen this, and it's very unfortunate. It's happened in the church. People that follow after such people, it leads to their spiritual destruction. As they go out of the body of Christ, an attack comes to their spiritual lives. They're left vulnerable. This is why we are not to forsake the gathering together of the brethren. So when spiritual attack happens in your life, you've got the people around you to help protect you, to shore you up. Again, I think that's part of essential why the Lord just really laid upon my heart that we need to help Anne out, or at least Anne's family out. Anne's with Jesus Christ. She doesn't need any help anymore. But, but help Anne's family out because that's a witness. And that's just what family does. And so we need to understand how important these things are because as they lead them out of the shadow of God's wings, they're left vulnerable, spiritually speaking, but also physically speaking. Because what happens when a need arises? And, well, I'll pray to the Lord. Well, how does the Lord fulfill your needs? As I said so many times before, I've had financial needs and I've had God take care of the financial needs, but never has he just interjected money into my wallet. He has never just put money into my bank account. He has done so through the body of Christ somehow, some way. That's the way God operates. That's the way God works because the church is his mouth and our arms and our hands are his arms and hands and that he impresses upon the heart of the body of Christ in order to care for one another. And if you're led out, then you are left vulnerable. And the bottom line is these false prophets, to use Peter's illustration, they're not feeding the sheep and they're not tending the sheep. Matter of fact, they're destroying the sheep. These false teachers are deceptive. They sound so good. What they seem to say seems to be so true, but Christ is not glorified and the people are not edified through what it is that they have to say. Usually what they have to say is centered upon themselves some sort of biblically unknown that they have received some sort of revelation from, or just simply fresh revelation. But as I mentioned this verse before, and this is a verse you need to understand and know, especially when the cults come knocking on your door, or anybody who claims to have fresh revelation from the scriptures, either concerning Christ or concerning whatever, there's no such thing as fresh revelation. Jude 3 tells us that these things have been delivered once and for all. When the Bible says it was delivered once, that means it's not going to be delivered. There's nothing else to be delivered. And it's for all. That means it's for every single one of us. Everything I need for righteous living in the sight of God is contained in here. 
when somebody wants to add something to that, they're wrong. They're just flat out wrong if it's contrary to the word of God. And so our reaction to these people, I must continue to grow in the knowledge of the word of God. Because if I grow in the knowledge of the word of God, then I'm not going to be deceived by their trickery. You must be going to church. Because as I go to church, I'm around my brothers and sisters, as I stated before, and I'm going to be strengthened by that. At the very least, hey, this person approached me and said this, what's up with that? And again, I won't be deceived if I bring more people into that equation for my support. You must be growing, you must be going, and you must be groaning. And when I say groaning, I mean praying. You must continue to keep in prayer. Pray for the people. If you know people who have been led astray, pray for them. Pray for the false teachers that are out there. We so want to stand up and stone them, but have you ever thought about praying that God would bring truth into their life and a spirit that desires to speak truth? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14 says, But solid food, he's speaking of the word of God, belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The main way that anybody understands and knows who is a false teacher and who isn't is by being knowledgeable in the word of God. If somebody brings anything contrary to the word of God, if you are knowledgeable of the word of God, it will stick out like a sore thumb. Verse 2, And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. There's two main cornerstone of every false system, belief system. First, belief in Jesus Christ is confused. They, again, alter the word of God. The focus is taken off of God's word and placed on the doctrines of demons. What's a doctrine of demon? Anything that is contrary to the doctrines of the Lord. What happens when the anchor of your soul, that chain is cut by doubt, then you're just left adrift. And again, if anybody brings anything to the pulpit other than God's word, then something is seriously wrong. Secondly, as belief is confused, also behavior will be justified. And I'm not talking godly behavior. Character and integrity is set aside for the pleasures of the flesh. The emerging church, that's exactly what the emerging church does today. The emerging church, they call into question the truths of the scriptures. They speak of the signs of the times, or the, well, at least the times anyway. And, well, God's word, well, it was pertinent back then, but not so much now. This is the religion of a postmodern society, society that does what is right in their own sight. A society believes that truth is fluid, or at least it's subjective to what you think it should be. And if you think all truth is based upon what you think it should be, well, how about the ultimate truth, the word of God? You start doing that, and then it filters through to behavior. Because if this isn't the truth, I get to define my truths. How am I going to define my truths? Whatever it is that makes me feel good. Whatever it is that I have a desire for. I'll justify that, I'll validate that, and we'll follow through. Now, just think if we had a church that was, everybody was doing this, it would, it would be a mess. God would not be glorified, and the word would not be going out. And again, this is a dynamic of what is called the emerging church. It's a new movement that, it's not so much new anymore, but it's a movement that has been going on 
I want to say in the body of Christ, but it's not of the body of Christ. Seeker-friendly church and all of these churches that will water down the word of God. Those two things will be constant. Belief is confused because the word of God has been muddied and behavior is justified. Godless behavior is justified. So what's the church to do? Well, we're told in 2 Timothy 3.14, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. We must continue going on in the Bible, in the Word of God. In the Word of God, in your personal devotions, in the Word of God as you go throughout your day. We have many sources for the Word of God on the internet and the radio, so on and so forth. Not all is good, but you have to discern these things and definitely in your personal church and the church God has called you to. So we are to preach the truth knowing that God will deal with those who pillage the truth. Verse 3, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So all these false teachers, we got false teachers who are on the TV we got false teachers on the radio, on the internet. It seems like they're all over. The- what are we supposed to be doing with this knowledge of their existence? Well, we've just been looking at what we do personally as far as rejecting them, but shouldn't we have a stoning or something? Shouldn't we go and kind of round them up and do away with them? I mean, you can kind of have this mindset, but you've got to be careful. I'm first going to read from Matthew chapter 13. And that the idea is, is that the ultimate judgment, the ultimate judgment comes from the Lord. If there's somebody who is a false teacher, we point them out. Not afraid to name names, but to mention those who are teaching falsely. But as far as, well, what else are you going to do? You can't go out and do physical harm to these people. That's not what God is saying. But first, this Matthew chapter 13, this parable... And it's a reality back in Jesus' day. It's a reality back in, or now, in our day, back in our day, now in our day. In Matthew 13, verse 24, another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. That would be the word of God that is sown into the hearts of people. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, least while you gather, gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. But let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in a bundle to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The tares are a thorny bush. Thorns are a picture of sin. And so the enemy went into that field and sowed seeds of false doctrine that caused these tares to rise up. The problem is, it's my understanding, that you can't tell the difference between wheat and tares, or at least it's very difficult. Matter of fact... The tall tell sign is when it blossoms and it produces its fruit. By its fruit, you will know them. But we can't make determinations on the souls of men and women. That's only for God to do. If there's a false teacher uh, teaching falsely, we'll point him out. But the idea here is, is that Peter is encouraging us to let us know and to understand 
ultimately, that false teacher is going to stand before a holy God and he is going to receive the judgment that is due to him. And so that's what we're going to be looking at here in verses 4 through 9. Starting again in verse 3. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. What is following from this point on, Peter is going to show us three examples of how the Lord cares and protects his people and judges those who are not of his people. And really what we're going to see is in verse 4, the second word, if, and then down in verse 9, then. And in reality, we have three ifs and one then. So the first example is the fallen angels, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Just as God did not spare destructive angels, he will not spare destructive false teachers. Just as God was able and had his hands upon the situation as it was going on back in Genesis chapter 6 is what is being referred to, so he's got his hand upon the situation today. And so we can look at poster child false teacher and you can look at the planes that they fly in. Remember there was one Cephalo Dollar, somebody, I don't remember exactly who it was, but he needed a better private jet. He needed the $50 million one because the $20 million one wasn't so much good anymore. Hey, I only have a $5 million. (laughs) And you can look at them and think, they're living in the lap of luxury. And the problem is if you buy into their theology where God blesses monetarily those who are his, you think this man is blessed of God. And and what about me? What's lacking in my life? Well, there's nothing lacking in your life, but I don't have the riches that he has. And so you see how it can lead souls to destruction, believing that they've been rejected by God and this man has been accepted by God. But the thing about it is there's going to be a great transformation during the end times. There's going to be those who will stand before God, but they're not going to be able to do so in their jets or their luxury. They're going to stand before God naked because all of mankind will and they'll receive the judgment due to them. Maybe this is as close to heaven as they'll ever get, their time here on earth, because eternity, they are going to be apart from God in hell. And so these destructive teachers, well, destructive teachers, as he's equating them with these angels, and I really believe that the sin that is being spoken of here is, is pride. It, it's They're prideful just as they were back then. Now, I'm not going to get into this the Nephilim and all of that stuff today. We looked at it in our study in First Peter for a bit. That's not the point. That's not why that story is connected here to get into all of that, but just the reality of what has happened and how God reacted to it. Because what they did, these angels did not spare the angels who sinned. We're told in Jude 6, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So just really quick in this whole situation, Satan rose up. He wanted to be like God, so he was cast out from heaven. When he was cast out from heaven, he took a third of the angels, the Bible tells us. These would be Satan, the devil, and his demons. Now, God still has constraints on them. Remember in the book of Job, 
Satan wanted Job. He wanted to, to get his, his claws into him, if you will. But he had to go and ask for God's permission to do that. So God still got control over all of these demons and devils and all of these things that are going on. Well, at a certain point in history, Genesis chapter 6, they stepped across the line. God allowed them to, I don't know why, but they stepped across the line. And because they did, they were reserved for judgment. Those angels that did what they did, they were incarcerated, if you will. It looks like they may be released in Revelation chapter 9 during that time to torment the earth one last time. But nonetheless, God is able to deal with those who are contrary to him. Why doesn't he do that with all of demons? When you get to heaven, you can ask them. Let me know, especially if you get there before I do. But he was able to deal with them, and he effectively dealt with them. It was not beyond his control. That's the point here. He was able to deal with these spiritual beings. And then the next example is the old world, verse 5, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Again, the main sin here is pride. The idea is, is that the others were not preachers of righteousness. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, saying that this flood is going to come, but there were the experts. Today, we may call them scientists. Keep in mind, back then, it had never rained. Rain falling from the sky, that was completely foreign to them. They had no idea that that was even possible. And so Noah's building the ark. Noah, what are you building? I'm building an ark. Well, what's an ark? It's a really, really big boat. Okay, why are you doing that? Because it's going to rain and everything is going to flood. What does rain mean? I don't know if Noah even knew really what rain meant there, but they laughed at Noah, and I would imagine they probably were of the mindset, it's impossible for water to fall from the sky. Well, they do the same thing today, because we know that Jesus is going to come in the clouds, and he's going to bring judgment with him. And so just as judgment rained from the sky back then, judgment is going to rain from the sky again in the form of Christ in his second coming. But just back then, as they thought it was foolishness for that to happen, the world thinks it's foolishness in their pride that that is going to happen in the future as well. Preachers of righteousness, it's the message that we preach. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that man might get right with God, and through right with God, he would not fall into judgment. But what we need to see all through that time is Noah was a continual preacher of righteousness. And I believe the greater degree of his preaching was in the building, was being obedient to what God had called him to do. Well, you can draw parallels with that because it was as he came into the ark that he was protected. As we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're protected. He's an obedient in building the ark. We're obedient in sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But also what we need to see and applies today, although judgment was inevitable, it was also inescapable. It was inescapable. I'm sorry, it was not inescapable. Although it was inevitable, it was not inescapable. And so they could have repented, my point is, and gotten right with the Lord. God, why don't you just kill all these false teachers? Because God cares for them. God loves them, and God wants to see them saved. He, 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 judgment's inevitable if they keep going like they're going, but it, it, it was not inescapable, or it is not inescapable. 
So the righteous one spoke of the coming judgment. The unrighteous spoke of the foolishness of the coming judgment. And they're the ones who perished outside of the ark. The third example is Sodom and Gomorrah, verses 6 through 8. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling amongst them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. What was Sodom and Gomorrah's sin? Well, obviously it was sexual sin, but what was the root of the matter? We're told in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 through 50, it says, Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Pride. Everything they needed was there. They didn't have to seek after God for their needs. They should have, but they... They didn't. And so pride entered in. Kind of a good description of the United States of America today. But what we need to see is Lot. Righteous Lot. Why is Lot described as righteous? Because you look at his life and he seems to be anything but righteous. Because you can't tell. Lot is probably the ultimate example of the difference between a wheat and a tear. I look at Lot and I see a tear. God looked at him and sees wheat. I mean, I, I can't see as, as God sees. And that's the sad thing of, of anybody who is walking strongly with the Lord at some point and has walked away. You just don't know. Now, we don't judge anybody's salvation because we don't have the capacity to know. But when we see somebody who's not walking right or has walked away, we know that we must once again minister to them as if it's the first, the basic things. They need to repent and get right with God because that we do know. And so Lot, what we need to see in Lot is a wheat who looked a lot like a tear. But it's God who knows and it's God who understands who this person is and where this person is at with him. And so false teachers, when we hear somebody teaching falsely contrary to the word of God, we point it out. When there's a movement out there, seeker-friendly movement, emerging church movement, whatever, we point it out. But as far as going and, and, and marching in front of their churches and all these other things, that's not for us to do. What happens? Verse 9, because there's the then. Remember the if? Really, there were three ifs there. Here's the then. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. I look at the TV, I look at TBN, and I see the false teaching that goes on there. Not every single person on there is a false teacher. Why are the people on there who teach truth? I believe they, de- they believe that they can be a light to them. And so, you know, that's between them and the Lord. But as far as the false teachers, whenever I see that, and I don't watch it, I can't remember the last time I've watched it, but when I do, my heart breaks for the people who are sitting in that audience. Because although that person might even be up there in front of the, you know, millions of people speaking falsely, it's the people that are seated there. And this is where the judgment on that person is going to come in as he stands before God if he doesn't repent because he had those people, these people who are honestly wanting to seek after God and he was filling them full of false doctrine. And so I, heart breaks for, for those people that have been led astray and our heart needs to, to be, uh, break for them as well. They need to get back into a right relationship with Jesus Christ, but it's got to come from good teaching. And so when you see that, 
pray, pray, pray that God would do a work. Pray that God would shut the mouth of the false teacher. Pray that God would do a work and bring truth into their lives. Verse 10, and especially those who walk according to the flesh. So what we're going to be looking at is some dynamics of those who are false teachers. We've got about five more minutes to do twice as many verses that we've done so far, but nonetheless... It says, especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority. Hey, I, I don't have to listen to them. I, you know, God speaks to me. The, the idea is, is that there's no accountability. The Lord spoke to me very early in my ministry. We started this church. I was at Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley, came and planted a church here and the pastor of the church and getting involved in the work of the church and kind of left it didn't leave the accountability. I was always accountable, but kind of cut off communication with Pastor David and Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley. And the Lord spoke to me that you've got to have this fellowship. And, and so I, I remember writing him an email and telling him that I coveted the fellowship that I was able to have with a man who was my pastor. That was saved under Pastor David's teaching. God did a work through that. I was discipled under Pastor David's teaching. I was called into leadership under Pastor David's teaching. I served as a staff minister, and then I was sent out under his teaching. And so accountability, it never stops. So how does that work for me today as the pastor? We meet at Calvary Chapel Chino Valley, a group of about 20 pastors every Tuesday. I think it's the second Tuesday of the month. I say I think just because they send an email and I go... um, But it's essential. Nobody is an island unto himself, especially when it comes to the things of the Lord. We all need accountability. It's essential. And so, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Who are the dignitaries? Dignitaries would be a representative of somebody, and some people say it's angels, and they use verse 11 as a proof text of that. And Okay, that would work to me. What's an angel? He's a messenger that comes from God. But we're also told in the book of Revelation that an angel or a messenger is the pastor of the church. And so these are those who speak evil of those who are messengers of God. Just see it like that. Verse 11, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. And the idea is their content is God is going to deal with those who teach falsely. Verse 12, so again, a few more dynamics personality traits of these false teachers but these like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed speak evil of the things they do not understand will utterly perish in their own corruption and so peter's using the example that these are animals and the idea is they stand behind their pulpits and they bark they bark or make animal noises because there is nothing edifying that comes from their mouths. Verse 13, And will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who counted pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots, you know, this is pretty strong language that he uses. It's stronger than even what it looks like here. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. And the idea is, is that, well, when... Nobody knows when nobody's looking. They're acting in a very corrupt, immoral way. They put on a good personification of holiness, but deep inside and in private, they're anything but. Verse 14, 
having eyes full of adultery that cannot escape from sin, enticing unstable, unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous, practice, uh, covetous practices and are accursed children. They feed off the spiritually weak. It's how they're able to continue. Again, those people who may not know the word of God and look upon them as somebody who is being very impressive. Verses 15 and 16, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity by a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, restraining the madness of the prophet. The idea there is is that Balaam did what Balaam did because he wanted the money. And again, that's the idea behind there. Matter of fact, we looked at it. It's usually one of three things, really. It's the girls, it's the gold, or it's the glory. One of those three is the thing that most, well, at least male uh, false prophets will seek after. And so usually it's, if you hear somebody that's teaching falsely, usually their motivation is going to be one of those three things following this example of of Balaam. Verse 17, these are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. A well without water would be something that looked very beneficial, but you go and you go to draw water from the well, there's absolutely nothing there that benefits you. What's water a picture of? Again, water is a picture of the word of God. When you go to that which should be producing the word of God, but it's not there, that which is supposed to be producing it is going to be seen or known as useless. Verse 18, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from, uh, from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of uh, corruption, for by whom a person is overcome by him, also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than have known it and to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Those who know what is right in the sight of God, but refuse to follow through in it. And again, these are people who do not know Jesus Christ, but do know of Jesus Christ. And to them, they will receive the judgment that even the demons are going to receive. Verse 22, But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, having washed, to wallow in her own um, mire. The idea, what sums up what we've been looking at, wolves, dogs, and hogs. Wolves, dogs, and hogs. Just animals doing what animals do. A wolf, it's according to his nature. He will always devour. You're not going to be able to train up a wolf and a sheep in the same pen. Sooner or later, the wolf is going to eat the sheep. Dogs, dogs will never have proper etiquette. You can clean the dog up, but it's still a dog. No matter what you do to it, you stick it outside, they eat grass, they throw up, and then what do they do? That's what dogs do. It's disgusting, but don't be a dog. A hog, you can pretty a hog up. You can put lipstick on that pig. You can wash it up, but when it sees a mud pile, it's going to go back to the mud. It's going to go back to the mire because that's where it's happy. That's where it's content. The wolves, dogs, and hogs, 
That's just their nature. False teachers teach falsely because that's their nature. You did the things that you did or lived the life that you lived because that was your nature. But then you were changed. You were cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has done this work for us. He has set us in a high place. We are now children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And because that great change has come over us, there's great expectations that have been placed upon us. And so just as those changes have come through the right teaching of the Word of God, we need to foster an environment where the Word of God goes out in a real and powerful way so that other lives would be changed, other lives would be altered as well. And so, as Paul told Timothy, verses 4 through 5 in 2 Timothy, you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. As much as you know what the right and godly thing to do is according to the Bible, keep doing it. Don't ever, ever quit. Don't ever, ever stop. Continue on in the truths that God has given us. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you have given us these truths, Lord. And there's just no doubt, no doubt in what we are to preach and teach, no doubt in how we are to live. And I pray, Father, that in the end, we would hear those words, well done. Until that time comes, I pray that we will continue to do what you have called us to do. We name false teachers as false teachers arrive or false movements arise. But we know ultimately, Lord, this is your church. It's built upon the foundation of who you are, and it's you who will keep your church. And so, Father, we just thank you that you have counted us amongst your church. And I pray, Father, that as much as depends upon us, that we would have a passion, Lord, for your truth and for your will. Reveal that will to us, Father, and I pray, God, that we would continue to push forward in all that you've given us to do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? A couple of things. Next biggest thing, other than Easter, is going to be the woman's retreat. We are taking sign-ups for the woman's retreat. There's more information in the bulletin. There will be a couple up here for prayer. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll be continuing on in our study in Second Chronicles. And my wife and I will be in the back as well. If you want to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's part of the reason we're there, is to discuss that with you. If you have any questions, let us know. God bless you guys. Have a great day.
Amen. Let's keep Jesus first. There'll be a couple up here for prayer.